All right, folks, let's go ahead and get rolling uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're actually continuing uh, in Colossians this morning. And we have, of course, as I mentioned, a guest speaker with us. So, James, you want to pull everybody in from out there? Just say, hey, we're getting rolling. So for many of you, you probably don't know Andrew Cavillage. He was with us, we were thinking maybe about three years ago. So Andrew and his family were responsible for planting that church in West Philly. Um, and now they're at Marlton in New Jersey. So uh, we actually ended up going to the pastor's college years ago. Jeez, how long now? That's six years ago or more? Yeah. Yep. So um, ended up getting to know them really well on the ground there. He is one of the most passionate people I know. But even beyond that, one of the, man, if you need just a dose of encouragement, just rub his shoulder a little bit, you know. You will get all the encouragement and not just like, hey, self-help encouragement, like aren't you just such a wonderful person? But he, he's a dude who gets your attention on Jesus in a way which encourages your heart. And so in some ways, man, I'd, I learn from this guy on a regular basis. I'm not altogether wired that way, uh, but I've learned again and again from this guy and benefited from him and his encouragement, even as it related to kind of some of the tough seasons of ministry here. And so he's been a huge help. So it's awesome then that you guys can come be with us and serve us again in this particular way and bringing the word to bear upon our hearts. So let's go ahead and have you come, bro. Thank you. Good morning, Saints. Good morning. Want to also introduce you to my family. That's my wife, Christina, our daughter, Leanna, Peter, and Caleb. Um, I'm glad I didn't travel alone. We've been looking forward to being here with you this morning. But I have some encouraging words to share about your pastor later in the message. But for this moment, let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 where we will be considering verses 7 through 18, which will finish up this part of the book. Let's read and ask for God's help this morning. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, was one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Erecharchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Heropolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, that's exactly what we ask for this morning. Is your grace to be with us? Ours is a cold and damp world, but with you is warmth. Thank you for the warmth of Christ in this fellowship. Would you again this morning warm and strengthen, make stalwart our weary hearts by your word and by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. We ask that together in Jesus' name. May it be so. Well, friends, I'm honored to be here. And when Dan and I were talking about, hey, let's figure out, I preached Colossians like half a decade ago, and so I had some notes still lying around. I'm like, I, I could preach a couple messages, and, and one was like a really awesome passage in Colossians. And then I was like, well, you know, Dan might need a break around Thanksgiving, and I looked there, and I was like, oh, the final greetings of Colossians. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do this. But friends, this is no less God's inspired word. But it may seem to you that this is a lot like credits at the end of a movie. Just a bunch of names running by you very fast. But indeed, friends, this, this is the credits of Colossians. These are the real lives and the labors and the relationships that connect to every bit of content you've heard in this book. This is proof that these things are for real lives because they're from real lives. And if we're going to view this as the credits of Colossians, I think we need to look at it more like the credits at the end of a Marvel movie. Everyone loves the credits at the end of a Marvel movie. Why? Yes! that gives you a bit of a bigger picture of the whole. So those credits, you're watching them, you're waiting. Now, you're doing that because of the video clip, not the names that still run by. See, here, it's the names that tap us into the bigger story. See, these credits aren't actually to go back to these names. These credits give credit to Christ who is Lord of all, as you have heard in Colossians. And so we're going to go through these names today, and, and it sounds like more warm to do this, because this message is essentially 10 points, and every point is a person, so it kind of feels more nice. But listen, some of these will take a little bit with them. Some of the names will go by quick. It's going to be the average length of a message, so don't panic about <laughs> 10 points. Just think of it more as personal and we'll see how these credits bring credit to Christ. The first name, and I want you to know this too, I also, knowing that I would be back in Philadelphia, I gave each person a nickname in this. Because I thought, 
when in Philadelphia you need a nickname, and I wanted to make it a little bit more warm for you, so that's a little love I put on this for you. But let's get into these names. First, we have Tychicus, a.k.a. the mailman. He's mentioned five times in Scripture, Acts, Ephesians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. The Acts passage tells us that he's from the province of Asia. One of the biggest cities in Asia was Ephesus at that point. So most likely, he's from Ephesus, and that during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus, that's probably where this guy got converted. We also know he was one of the seven who traveled with Paul. And when you travel with Paul, you see some action. Most likely, he saw the riots in Ephesus that Acts 19 records, where basically the coppersmith union goes crazy because they're upsetting the idolatry, and it just becomes a freak show in Ephesus. He was there for that. In Acts 20, when Paul was departing from the Ephesian elders, and there was that tearful goodbye, he was there for that. We also know that along with others, he accompanied Luke and Paul in their imprisonment. But the mailman is not just a fellow traveler. He's an important messenger. You see, he delivered the letter of Colossians. He also delivered the letter of Philemon to Philemon, who was a slave owner in Colossae. And he delivered the letter of Ephesians. We just got off pause about that. This letter that you studied, that saints have loved for thousands of years, he was the first guy to drop it off. Same with Philemon and Ephesians. That is utterly amazing. And we, we, have, to, we have to wonder, did he have any idea that his letters would outlast his life? and even the Roman Empire that he traveled through. But his usefulness was not just in the letters he carried, but with the ministry of connection, encouragement that he brought in person. Look at verse 8. What a wonderful description here. Well, the end of 7, he's a faithful minister and fellow servant, but he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose. What's the purpose, Paul? that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So this beloved faithful servant was going to give an update to the church about how people were doing. He's helping them stay connected. But he's not just giving announcements. He's giving encouragement. He's giving strength to their hearts. This is what would happen. And what a description, beloved faithful servant. Could we aspire to a greater reputation among the saints? Could anything higher be said of us? Friends, these words remind us of our Lord. And here in this church, some of you are carriers of these letters too, of these truths of Colossians and these other inspired letters. And you realize that what you bring is more important than who you are. Some of you, you've been a means of connecting the saints. Even the sound ministry and the people doing the notes. What's your name again back there? Was it Annie? Yeah. Ann, Annie, thank
Thank you for doing this. Um, this is a part of the communications in the church and making sure Dan doesn't miss announcements because I'm pretty sure without your supervision, that stands a real chance of happening. And how many of you are encouragers in this place? Strengthening with one another, with, with the grace you observe in one another's lives, seeing things that are the work of God and speaking. Speaking about what you see, not just seeing them. Well, friends, the name, this name of the mailman gives credit to Christ, whose message is greater than anything we carry, and whose likeness is the greatest thing we can reflect in our relationships. Here's the next name, Onesimus, a.k.a. the runaway. Onesimus was a traveling companion of Tychicus to help deliver these letters, but he himself was making a return home. You see, he wouldn't just be helping deliver the letter of Philemon. That would be his last delivery because he was returning with that letter. Their story is the book of Philemon, and it's a beautiful story about redemption and reconciliation. You can read it in under 10 minutes this afternoon, if you like. A lot had changed since Onesimus ran away. Last time they were together, although Philemon, his owner, was a believer, Onesimus was not. And according to Philemon's account, he was pretty shady. The description of him was that his service was useless, and most likely he was stealing from his master. That's probably why he ran away. He overcooked his master's grits and had to get out of town. But he ran away to Colossae, but instead of getting lost in the big city, he was found and transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, under Paul's ministry, Paul sends the word of Philemon, and he's encouraging He's encouraging Philemon, take Onesimus back. He is a changed man. I find him faithful and beloved and useful. And I believe that you will too. That is the point of what is happening there. As we look at this congregation, some of us were runaways. Things were getting hot in our lives. And we ran for the big city to hide. And God found us out. God found us out. And now he has redeemed us and is making a return to us. Uh, the runaway. This name gives credit to Christ who seeks and saves the lost, who redeems and restores the runaways. Next we have Aristarchus, a.k.a. the jailbird. The only other information we know about him is from Acts 19, 29, the Ephesians, right? Guess who got locked up for that? He was one of the guys who got locked up. Guess what Paul refers to him in the letter of Colossians? My fellow prisoner. Meaning every time we see this brother in the scripture, he's locked up. That's what we see about him. That's what we know about him. Well, even though this is all we know about our Macedonian brother, this jailbird does sing a song that gives credit to Christ who is worthy to suffer for, even imprisonment for the message and ministry of the gospel. 
Oh, number four. Mark's got, Mark's got a few names here. First, his nickname that we're giving to him in Wissanoming this morning is the Comeback Kid. He's also the cousin of Barnabas, and he's also known as John Mark. You see, whereas the story of Onesimus and Philemon is one where an unfaithful non-Christian gets transformed by the gospel and reconciled to his master, John Mark's name brings up another story of reconciliation altogether. This time between Christians in a situation dealing with deserting and disagreement. You see, when Paul went on his first big missionary journey from Antioch, John Mark went along with him and his older cousin Barnabas. But by the time their journey brought them to the shores of Pamphylia, Mark jumped ship. And we can only imagine what would have happened here. Maybe this young man thought, yes, I'm going to go on this trip with my uncle and the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to see things and have stories to tell. He was excited, but simply unprepared for the hardship that would await him in gospel ministry. And how many a saint has been eager to jump into the life and ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ only to find out how difficult it is and to want to jump ship as soon as it hits the shore. Well, there's more than just this with this name. This name brings up one of the most tense situation in all of Acts. Comes time for another missionary trip later in Acts, and Barnabas is like, hey, how about we bring my cousin Mark again? How do you think Paul's feeling about that? Do we think Paul's perfect? By the way, this is one time that it's definitely clear Paul's not the Messiah. Paul's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling Mark. Barnabas, you remember? Like, I need to count on guys for this work. I can't have guys just jumping ship. And Barnabas is like, come on, come on he's a change. Give, up, give him a break, Paul. No. And Acts actually records in Acts 15 that there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. The only two men we know closer in Scripture are David and Jonathan. When I was a kid, this was like Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man breaking up when the mega powers split. That was huge. My wife's ashamed of me right now for bringing that illustration. She's like, I need to read his notes. That wasn't in there, baby. That was for them. Um, What separated them? This disagreement. And without this passage in Colossians, we would be left wondering what happened. What happened? What's the instruction that Paul gives to the Colossians concerning whom you have received instruction? If he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome him. This was years later, possibly 12 years later. Fast forward another five years, it gets sweeter. In 2 Timothy, when the Apostle Paul is nearing his death, in chapter 4, he says this, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. What is more than this is that God was pleased to use this former deserter to accompany Peter in Rome and to serve as his writer and who himself is the human author of the Gospel of Mark. You want to talk about a comeback? That 
is a comeback story. Friends, this should give all of us hope. Those of you who jumped into gospel ministry and got burned and are wondering, can you ever turn back to the work that you left? Or those of you who have faced a sharp disagreement with another believer in separated ways, is there hope for you? The comeback kid tells us that that is not the end of the story. The comeback kid, his name gives credit to Christ, the reconciler of his people. Well, now we're going to turn the corner. We're almost at halftime here. Jesus. Yes, finally a name we know. I know Jesus. I got a name on that list. No, wrong Jesus. So this Jesus's nickname is the other Jesus. So it says, and Jesus, who is called Justice, see, Jesus was a fairly common name in those times and was the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew Joshua. Now, this could seem weird for the Christian friends to refer to someone else as Jesus. So that's most likely why they started calling him Justice. And this is a bit anecdotal, but it's good for all of us to differentiate ourselves from the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this name giving credit to Christ who is distinctly set apart among us as the most important name. As Dan read us early, the one who has preeminence. Now we are officially at halftime, and there's something that we need to see in verse 11b. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Why is this significant? This is significant because of what's in Colossians 3.11, where it says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We talk about unity and diversity, but oftentimes that can be in theory and not in practice. But what's that word here? Here, in Christ. But that doesn't remain in theory because we see it in this fellowship. See, the first people on this list were the only ethnic Jews working with Paul, meaning that the rest of the people in this list are Gentiles. So here we see in working reality, Jews and Gentiles united and laboring for, I love this term, who are workers for the kingdom of God together. Isn't that a, a righteous title? I'm a worker for the kingdom of God. And by God's grace, I do it with a lot of different people that come from different backgrounds because Christ is over all. That's our halftime pep talk now. We're taking it back. We, ha we have a few more names to get through. Epaphras, a.k.a. Epap the Tap. That's one of my favorite ones. I won't lie to you there. And that actually makes me thirsty for a drink. <laughs> Epap the Tap. This next name may ring a bell from where? Someone besides your senior pastor. <laughs> and his wife! Can someone else tell me Colossians 1? Cool. <laughs> we'll go with that. He's mentioned in Colossians 1. And if you remember, 
Paul had never been to Colossae. So what's his connection to this church? Epaphras is his connection to this church. He was also likely converted under Paul's three-year ministry work in Ephesus. And he's the one that found it. He's the church planner of Colossae. And he was also connected in labor and care for the churches in the larger neighboring cities of Laodicea and Heropolis. And look at this description of him in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets... Um, Losing my place. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. See, Epaphras is a man who's poured out for others. He's pouring himself out for in his labors and in his prayer and in his desire. What does he want? Does he just want them to be happy? Does he want them to be entertained? He wants them to be mature. As Colossians says earlier, to present every man complete in Christ, mature, rounded, whole. What gives Christ most glory on the earth? Mature Christians. They are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he has no smaller goal for you than that. You don't need me to say this, but I, I will. E pap the tap was the real deal. But so is your senior pastor and his wife. They pour themselves out for you. I can't talk to either one of them without them talking about you. I've heard them pray for you. I've seen their labors. I see, I've seen Dan work on sermons and sermon series. And what does he have in view? Not your entertainment, but your maturity, your health, and your wholeness in the gospel. And I see James rising right up with this work. And it heartens me. But friends, you have the real deal. Epap the tap. His name gives credit to Christ who was poured out for us and Christ who gives good gifts and ministers who pour themselves out still for the saints. And you, my friends, are such servants and I thank God for you. Well, now we have Luke, a.k.a. the Dear Doctor. I wanted to do different things there, to be honest. I thought about Dr. Love, but I was afraid some of you would think about Kiss and get distracted, and <laughs> it just wouldn't carry over. You might think of some love show like Chuck Woolery. I'm like, that's not the picture here. Um, so he's the dear doctor. This is the only place where we find out that Luke was a physician. How about that? We all call him that, but we wouldn't know he's a doctor without these closing words in Colossians. But no doubt his skill was a great service to Paul and his company. How many times was Paul beaten? How many times was he probably mistreated and mishandled in prison? Do we assume that Paul was miraculously healed of all his affliction? Or could it be 
that the dear doctor was much of his healing. That God used this physician to be a source of personal ministry and care for Paul in his afflictions. God would also later use this good doctor's skill and training as a physician to write the most detailed gospel account we have, the Gospel of Luke. And friends, some of you here, although not professional physicians, are a source of healing to one another. You're a source of personal care and ministry. Friends, this name, the name of the dear doctor, gives credit to Christ, our healer, who often in the economy of his grace uses his people as a source of healing for his people. Oh, now we're going to hit a bump in the road. Demas, his nickname gives it away, the deserter. The deserter. That doesn't mean he goes three times for the dessert bar at the buffet. In something much worse. Now, I think it's interesting to note that Demas is not mentioned with a comment. We don't get that he is beloved. We don't get that he's a servant of Christ. It's just like Demas. He's just like with us. Uh, this guy, Demas, was. Now, this could have been because Paul might have seen something in him that kept him from fully commending him to the churches. But whatever the case, we find out what happens to Demas. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says of his departure for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. See, one of the most unsettling situations to see in gospel partnership is when someone leaves the faith. It's one thing for someone to leave the church, leave the mission we're about, it's another thing when they leave the faith entirely. And friends, aren't we in an age where high-profile people are leaving the faith in droves? They're not leaving their posts and positions of ministry. They're leaving Christ. And it leaves us wondering what's going on. It leaves us unsettled. But we should know there will always be some among us who are not really of us. Friends, these are the very words of our Lord when He taught the parable about the seed and the soils. There's going to be some that show initial signs of excitement or show other manifestations. But the day will prove them false. That they never had real faith. And friends, what was it that drove Demas away? He loved this present world. He loved what was hot now. Friends, be aware of where the love of this present age can lead you. Because it can lead you away from who is life, who's always been life, who will always be life, who gives eternal life. Even this name gives credit to Christ as it confirms how credible his warning and instructions are. Now Paul begins to widen his greeting and instruction from here. We have Nympha, a.k.a. the porch light. I'll read verse 15 because we've been away from our text a little bit. I want to remind you of what it says here. Give my greetings to the brothers. I mean, I can't bring up the brothers, so I'm not counting them as one of my points. 
but there's some, there's some people, brothers and sisters at Laodicea. He wants to greet that church, but they don't have a name. So we're going to stick with Nympha. And the Nympha and the church in her house. Were there a lot of church buildings in the early days of the way? No. So what do you do? Well, you either get old converted synagogues or you use houses. Some people in the early church actually added extensions to their homes just for the sake of ministry. And that's exactly what this dear sister is doing here. And this speaks of her devotion and commitment to Christ and the church. Some of you are doing this with your own home. And by the way, we don't know if Nympha's house was clean, if she had dishes, um, she had kids running away, or not running away, but she had kids running around. We don't know. We don't know what her house looked like. We know that her house was open. We know that the porch light was on. Friends, some of you are doing this here. This sister's name gives credit to Christ who has welcomed us freely into his heavenly home and who opens our hearts and homes to one another. Oh, last but not least, he might be least because he's the only one to kind of get a little bit of an admonishment here. Archippus, a.k.a. don't miss the bus, Gus. <laughs> so he's referenced in Philemon, verse 2. He's likely Philemon's son. We don't know what ministry this is referring to, but we know that it's to be fulfilled. And these are important words for every follower of Christ. Everyone who is about the work and ministry of the gospel. It says this, See that you fulfill the ministry, the service, that you have received in the Lord. Friend, do you know that you have a gospel ministry in the Lord? See that you're about that. See that that is not talk. See that that finds a way of fulfillment. And this, too, gives credit to Christ that we should not slack at the King's work because we have received this work in His name. Well, now, there, see, that was survivable, those ten points that were people we lived through that. Well, in closing, as Paul goes to sign off this letter, no doubt, he, remind, he was reminded of the chains on his own hands. And he asked the believers to remember his imprisonment in prayer. But what Paul gave us here in this letter of Colossians inspired by the Holy Spirit is here we see truth in life. Here we see the unfolding grace of Christ at work in real lives. Here we meet some of the beloved. We see the commitment of faithful service. We see conversion and reconciliation. We see those in prison for Christ and those on mission. We see those who abandon their post. We see sharp disagreement. We see change of character and change of heart. Sadly, we see some leave Christ for the world. We see Jews and Gentiles, doctors and bondservants, brothers and sisters in little towns and big cities. We see believers in house churches, in local churches, in regional churches, connected in Christ and His commission to advance 
his good news here in these names, in these lives, we see Christ, the warmth of their fellowship and the purpose of their labor. May he continue to be so among you as your lives and labor together give credit to Christ. And so as Paul finished this letter and could not finish with anything better than a benediction of God's unmerited favor, I end by saying, grace be to you. God bless you, church. Let's take a, a few moments um, just with our heads bowed and, and one particular question to consider as we've heard the word of the Lord, the question being, what will the credits of your life be? What will the credits of your life be? You know, maybe it's not some grand ministry doing this or that. But maybe it's the simple ministry that you have in your home to your children. Maybe it's that simple relationship next door with that neighbor that you're interacting with. Maybe it's that particular coworker that you're just faithful to sit with and engage and share truth to. These are the simple things. It's not all about, you know, becoming grand missionaries, doing extravagant things. It's actually in the very simple things. And not just in the simple things, but folks, we know even from the book of Colossians, there are mountaintop experiences in life, and there are a lot of dark valleys. Sometimes it's just holding on to the promises of God, which are just everything. Those are not small things. You know, never compare yourself in those deep, dark valleys to, oh, the great missionaries of the day. You know, no. You're walking in that, and you're shining as a light in that, right? As you're holding on to the promise of enduring through difficulty. What will the credits of your life be, right? And how will those credits ultimately give credit to Christ? Let's pray together. Ask the Lord to work those truths into our hearts, um, and we'll respond in song, and we got the kids coming down uh, this morning, I believe, so they'll, they'll be coming in in just a moment, but let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that there is such a cloud of witnesses who, who, who see uh, what's going on and who have gone before us in their limitations in their frailties, in their weaknesses, but also in those amazing moments where by your grace they contributed to the mission, a network of people gathering together, working together, ultimately to exalt your name. God, would you make us those kind of people, those kind of people who are given to the ministry, given to a focus of working together to exalt your name. So Jesus, may the credits of our life ultimately give credit to you. And I pray right now for the discouraged heart among us. 
the one who may look at their lives and say, well, it hasn't amounted to much. Jesus, we thank you that you are in every deep and difficult valley whereby man's standard, our lives may not be exactly amounting to much. And yet by your standards, you see every step that is taken. You see every moment of faith. You see it all, you know it all, you're supplying the grace through it all. And we just wanna say it is from you and through you and to you that are all things. Even if it's walking through the darkness of a valley, even if it's living out a life that seemingly by man's standards doesn't amount to much, Jesus, we offer our next steps even this week to you. We step out in faith, trusting you. We live ultimately for you, for from you, through you, to you are all things. Jesus, have us. May the credits of our life ultimately give credit to you. Be honored, be glorified through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.